Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. Funders like to fund things that are successful, and that's because someone else has taken the risk out. It's easier for them to come on board. So when you're starting out, it's a very, very rough environment because if nobody knows who you are, you have to work blood, sweat, and tears to get in front of these individuals. Going Green is the ultimate social entrepreneur organization. They say they fund people, not ideas. They mean it. They support you in all levels from financing to support in all levels from legal to business. Anything you would like that a social entrepreneur needs, you contact them. If they don't have the answers, they know someone who has an answer and they will make that introduction. I'm very pleased today to introduce Chris Atageka. Chris is an engineer, inventor, and founder and CEO of Rides for Lives. Motivated by his experiences growing up in rural Uganda, Chris started Rides for Lives in 2011 to connect individuals and communities in rural Uganda to critical health and education services by means of locally made transport vehicles such as wheelchairs, bicycles, and bicycle ambulances. Chris has received many awards for his work at Rides for Lives. He's one of the Forbes 30 Under 30 and an Echoing Green and Ashoka Fellow. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs. I'm looking forward to hearing your story and your insights on your journey. It's a great idea, Rides for Lives. I'm just wondering maybe if you could tell us a little bit about what exactly you do and where the idea came from. Well, thank you so much for having me, Frog. I really appreciate it. Um, my uh, company, Rides for Lives, is a social enterprise that makes innovative vehicles to bring access to healthcare um, in rural areas where none exist. So essentially what that means is uh, if you look at the big populations in developing countries, the majority of the individuals live in rural areas. And uh, when you look at the infrastructure in terms of schools and health centers and all the other essential needs, they are primarily based in cities and towns. So for us, we decided to focus on healthcare simply because um, you find a woman needs to give birth and she has to go, you know, 10, 15 miles to get the hospital and reach there and be met with uh, the, oh, sorry, the doctor is not around, come back tomorrow. Uh, so with those um, kind of health, lack of healthcare access issues, uh, that's when I started, uh, decided to start Rights for Lives to, to solve the, the, the problem. Um, answering your question of where did the idea come from, uh, I was born and raised in Uganda. And I was affected both directly and indirectly by lack of uh, access to healthcare, including losing both my parents. Um, and when my parents died at that point, I was like a young child. I didn't really uh, know or um, have much I can do uh, other than just sit down and be sad and cry. But um, 
through so many life events, I was able to end up in California and finish an engineering degree and a couple more engineering degrees. Um, and so my experiences combined with my technical background, plus, you know, the tragedies that have affected me personally combined kind of got me into the healthcare space. Right. Wow. Wow. And how did you end up in California, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Grab a seat. <laughs> no, it's a really, really uh, long uh, life journey. It's like a roller coaster. Uh, I, I can tell you for sure that it's going to take you a couple minutes uh to find someone as lucky as myself, I've been very, very lucky. And there are so many uh, life events that had to happen very precisely at the right time for me to turn out the way I did. Um, <laughs> so basically, um, you know, I lost my parents, like I mentioned earlier, and I was a little orphan growing up with all kinds of poverty-related issues from hunger and homelessness and famine, hard labor, just name it, everything, I've been part of it. But when I was about 15, uh, <clears throat> I was um, informed about an orphanage in a small town called Fort Portal, uh, which is about five hours from Kampala, the capital of Uganda, where I'm from. Um, and... I, you know, went over there and uh, asked if they could help me because I had this passion for going to school, but I never really had the resources because you have to pay school fees and all the scholastic needs. But luckily, um, the lady who runs the orphanage, her name is Kara Adams, um, and it's called uh, Yes Uganda. It's Youth Encouragement Services. Um admitted me and then they started supporting me um uh, i went to school in uganda and and eventually through that same program i got connected to a sponsor family in california um and the sponsor family kept paying for me while i stayed with uh you know with extended family or different places in uganda and we developed a relationship and over time, when I finished my high school, I did really well. They offered to, um, to bring me over to, to California to go to school. And boom, my life literally turned upside down and changed. Wow. Wow. It sounds, as you say, a tremendous journey, not just physically in space, but um, <laughs> culturally and uh, in, in many ways. I guess it's important for you the idea of contributing and making a difference and supporting the society, the country where you grew up. I'm a direct, direct product of someone else's generosity. Like these individuals, I, I'm in... I, I, I tend to say, you know, they don't make them in this fabric anymore, really. It's really, really nice people who have absolutely no idea who I am and out of a good heart and, and compassion decide to support some kid, uh, you know, halfway around the world. You know, they may or may never meet and um, 
kind of invest their time, resources, and money to help me be somebody. Um, so since I'm a product of someone else's generosity, it's apparent. Like I have to be able to pay it forward in some one way or the other. I may never pay it forward the same way they did for me because um, it's immeasurable, but I can try one person at a time uh, to the best of my ability. Well, it sounds like Rides for Lives is is having quite an impact. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the scale of, of what your activities today, but how difficult has it been? What have been a few of the big challenges for you to, to, to get this enterprise to where it is today? Africa is rising. Um, it's a very, very prime location for a lot of amazing things happening at the moment. But at the same time, we can't ignore the challenges facing, uh, you know, lack of access to all kinds of things from capital to resources to um, all sorts of things to start any enterprise. Um, For us, the biggest challenge for the most part has been the idea that the problem we're tackling is enormous. It's a large, large problem. And um, so we kind of get faced with this, um, continuously faced with this um, uh, idea whereby you, you know, the resources far, far smaller than the, the need. So the, the need exceeds the, the resources tremendously. And that puts us in a position where we have to turn people down and, you know, not reach the scale we want to reach. Um, and everything revolves and comes back to, you know, money. Because in order to get the right talent, you have to be able to pay them well to compete on the market. Um, and in order to reach more people, you need to invest more resources. So it's, it's a very challenging environment to work in. Um, the other idea is the fact that because the people we're trying to reach are, are like the poorest of the poor at the bottom of the pyramid, it makes it really hard to even, you know, charge any fee to have uh, anybody pay for any service. Even if you introduce like 50 cents to, to charge for any service, then that means you're cutting out almost 80% of the people you intended to serve, yeah, uh, which is a big, big problem. But anyway, so it's just uh, the market uh, and the environment is challenging, but at the same time, that's not an excuse not to do anything. We just got to try our best. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds amazing. It's interesting you say and talk about the resource constraints and the heart of what you're doing and the huge demand for what you do. How do you measure what you can do at the moment? There's multiple ways. One of our biggest kind of uh, uh, driving philosophy is the idea that, um, you know, there's so many people with uh, great intentions. They come up with a solution and they go to some developing country and just like drop it off. Like, okay, you people need this. And as soon as they step the foot on the plane to head back home, 
the solution they brought breaks down and and that's the end of it and millions and millions of uh of dollars have fallen victim to this so my philosophy is the thought that um you need to create products uh locally by the locals and for the locals whereby you have uh the locals be part and partial of uh, the design process so it's kind of a uh, uh designing a product for the people but have them take part in the process to kind of inform you or participate in what they actually need um so with that in mind most of our uh products are locally made um uh, we kind of source the material locally and um and as a measure answering your question we look at the employment created uh africa is uh, uh one of the youngest uh, continent in terms of uh age demographics so most people are really young under 25 so there's a huge problem of unemployment so we tackle that problem and then the second problem uh the second measure is uh the the number of people served by our products so we do the head count um and also with our uh mne systems we kind of determine or look at you know how many uh patients have been served who uh would rather have not if we were not around around um if we looked at uh we also look at the um the illnesses that are kind of prevalent in the area like people doing hiv screenings and cancer screenings and malaria um know that stuff so kind of keep data on uh what we see in the field what are those measures chris we are looking at uh so we've we've had um we have three products uh the first product is a a uh village ambulance which is a a kind of like a bed attached to a bicycle or a motorcycle that brings individuals from the villages to the hospitals to access healthcare um that's been going strong and we've worked with a lot of uh you know global ngo partners from you know red cross to world vision to you know save the children you know safe and name it um and then the second product kind of was inspired by the idea that when we drop people off at the hospital sometimes they have a hard time seeing a doctor because doctors are very hard to come around in most places so i designed a mobile uh uh health unit which is essentially a hospital on wheels it's a doctor's room a lab and a pharmacy so if you went there you can get you know not only general consultation with the doctor on board you can do your blood work uh and buy the medicine all in one unit and it makes a circuit around uh market days and every village in Africa has a market day and there's a market day 7 days a week so we are guaranteed uh clients and people coming through every single day um 
And then the third unit is a unit for persons with disabilities, which is a motorized wheelchair. But, um, you know, motorized wheelchairs for the developing countries because most of the motorized wheelchairs made for the Western world does not work in, in the developing world uh, settings. Uh, the ones that are made for like America or the UK or Australia, where the roads are paved and smooth, they're low to the ground, they just fall short in, in Africa or any other place. So we make uh, sturdy products that can really take a beating. They can go in this heavy rain and scorching sun and take the potholes and still remain standing. Um, but to date, we are looking at uh, a population of uh, uh, slightly over 500,000 people that have been served with our products. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. That's great. And your engineering skills obviously coming in handy. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, if it wasn't the engineering, I'm probably not sure where I would be a bit for a totally different field or space. Uh, but. No, not sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How have you funded this? I know how hard it is to raise money for any project, and particularly projects, as you say, where at the bottom of the pyramid, as they say, or, you know, you can't charge and so forth. It is a challenge. It's been a challenge, but we've had uh, tremendous support uh, from individual donors and uh, uh, family foundations, uh that have been supporting us. Um, but it's an ongoing challenge. Like my life literally mostly revolves around fundraising. And, um, you know, once I, uh, have money in the account, then, uh, I, that's when I go on the ground and, and, and build products and deploy, deploy them and off I go on a plane. So it is a, a tough, um, environment but it's 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 definitely been grant funded you spent a lot of time fundraising what what have you learned about fundraising what insights have you got for other social entrepreneurs fundraising is a is a is a, is a tough game <laughs> uh, i i don't want to sugarcoat it it's it's all about networking uh you just gotta network 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 people fund people um, however much amazing your organization is or however much amazing your solution is, it doesn't matter if there's no um, that kind of um, human touch, human connection between you and the funders. Um, and the other thing that I've learned is funders like to fund things that are successful. Um, and that's because you know, someone else has taken the risk out. Uh, they don't, you know, it's easier for them to come on board. So when you're starting out, it's a very, very rough environment because if nobody knows who you are, um, you have to work, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to get in front of these individuals. Um, so, yeah, uh, network, 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 and network. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yeah. It echoes what other social entrepreneurs I've spoken to have said about, uh, I guess, persistence and also the crucial importance of the pilot project or the project which, you know, being able to show the impact and show the provide evidence of the success of your, your project. Yep, absolutely. And what's even very um, interesting in the funding space is you'd hear and see people blasting on, you know, uh, on their platform saying, oh, we fund social entrepreneurs and we fund early stage companies and we really fund individuals, but we don't, uh, you know, but all that, the buzzwords when it comes to the actual reality, uh, people are risk adverse and they, you know, they will say they fund early entrepreneurs and early stage companies, but there's, there's something called too early. <laughs> Every time you apply for something and say, oh, well, you're still too early, even though the person indicated clearly that they fund early stage companies. <laughs> so um, you have to persist and keep uh, pursuing it until you get to a certain point where you, um, you take the risk out for them as much as you can. And Taking the risk is 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 by um, you know investing a lot of time and and removing the risk is uh, kind of showing them the data information metrics and things that you've been able to do on the ground and then they get excited to come on board. Yes, never create a, create some excitement. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. that's a really interesting experience you're having there um, because. You know, the, it's invaluable, really, for, for other social entrepreneurs as well to kind of learn from other experience. What about support mechanisms for social entrepreneurs on your journey? Have there been any organizations in particular that have provided you with support or other organizations that you, you'd like to, at particular moments, you'd, you'd like to have had support? Are there things that would have been particularly helpful? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The word is echoing green. I don't know if you've ever heard of this organization. Echoing Green is the ultimate social entrepreneur organization, literally. <laughs> um, they say they fund people, not ideas. They mean it. They support you in all levels from financing to um, you know, support in all levels from legal to business for anything you would like that a social entrepreneur needs you contact them at if they don't have the answers they know someone who has an answer and they will make that introduction i often say that there are so many uh entrepreneurs who if asked today if they would be doing what they were doing what they're doing if it wasn't for Econ Green, there are very few <laughs> would be still there because Econ Green supports you for two years. And in those two years, um, you you are welcome to ask and reach out for any sort of help. So that's been very, very helpful in my in my space. Uh, the other organization is Ashoka. Um, I'm a, a new fellow. Uh, the Ashoka Network. Uh, I, I, I'm still learning and getting to experience and benefit from all the uh, exciting things it has to offer. But uh, for me, it, you know, 
Aircoin Green has been especially the most uh, helpful tool today. Right, right, right. That's interesting. Again, it's something that uh, both of those organizations have had great impact for other social entrepreneurs as well. Um, did you think about being a charity? What does it mean to you to be a social entrepreneur? I think a, a social entrepreneur is a person who um, um, puts the needs of the other people far ahead and beyond the needs of themselves. And that involves lots and lots of sacrifices. You find yourself, you know, depleting your entire bank account and getting all the money out so that you can keep the, the organization afloat. Uh, it takes a certain kind to stick to this space because there are so many places you could be making tons and tons of money in other forms of, you know, startup business as an entrepreneur. But uh, once you commit to this space, you are, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's driven by love and compassion. It's something that your heart's got to be fully involved in, in this, in the project, because as you say, it takes time and it takes a lot of your resources, your own personal resources to make change happen. Absolutely. Social entrepreneurship is a changing area, really, isn't it? There are many kind of hybrid organizations now that work in various different ways. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I have my own thoughts about that. Um, funders, uh, you know, lots of people who have uh, the money or extra income to uh, donate to some social enterprise um, have been very, very successful. Uh, uh, individuals have started businesses themselves, but mostly on the for-profit side and, and, and kind of benefiting from the whole idea of capitalism. Um, and then they, uh, when they're contributing money to some organization, they come with that mindset um, trying to uh, commercialize every organization in the process which makes it super hard, uh, especially for people who are serving people at the bottom of the pyramid who cannot pay a penny, but they are the ones who need the service. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a very tough environment at the moment because every social enterprise is expected to have a uh, you know, huge business plan and how much money they're going to make and, and all that stuff. And, and it kind of really defeats the whole idea of the people you are trying to serve um, and you end up um, serving people who are already have something because if they can pay they, they they're somewhat okay but anyways it's it's a very I think it's a very tricky environment at the moment because every uh, social enterprise every nonprofit they you know they're trying to 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 um, commercialize it um, in a way. It's interesting you say that. There's a lot of pressure for social change organizations to be sustainable. It's difficult, as you say, because there are clearly some circumstances where it's just inconceivable to even consider charging for the service. And yet, if one, in other contexts, if one was able to make some contribution towards your costs, you would certainly increase substantially the sustainability of, of the organization. Yep, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's the idea that um, 
you know, view the sustainability pressure and then creates the idea where you have to uh, uh, turn a, a social enterprise into a commercial enterprise of some kind and then uh, you end up serving a certain privileged uh, individuals while you're making this money and then you cut out the, the individuals you intended to serve in the first place. Um, and, and yet, if you really wanted to make a lot of money, there are other ways to actually do that. Just start another for-profit business and just go all hard in, in, in the capitalism sense and make the money, you know. So it's a very tricky environment, and I'm, I'm kind of conflicted. And as you can tell, I have really you know, interesting thoughts about that. Do you see this as an issue in the in the whole sector? Is this on the minds of other social entrepreneurs? Do you think when you go to meetings or when you you see other social entrepreneurs, is this an important theme? It is an important theme. It's just that because social entrepreneurship is a buzzword at the moment, then every person who makes money calls themselves a social enterprise and the actual social enterprises are dying out. And that's why... It really makes me mad. <laughs> uh, the real social enterprises that care about individuals are uh, dying out because they can't stand this pressure and, and, and funders are not giving them um, enough resources or money because, uh, because they, they, it's not sustainable, quote-unquote. And the ones that come up with like, oh, I made this much money serving this many people and all that stuff because they can splash it on the wall and in these fancy PowerPoints, they get all the money. And and, and the real enterprises are, uh, you know, kind of in the trenches uh, dying. So, yeah. Is, is this something you see on the ground? Have you seen this firsthand that organizations with worthy goals that are making a real impact on the ground are struggling and, and some closing down? Speaking from experience, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There are so many people who are struggling with the really good intentions of very wonderful organizations making huge difference in the world, uh, but they are not as, um, you know, financially uh, sustainable as the people with the money would like to see it and it's happening in most places yeah yeah there's a lot of talk also about scale isn't there scalable organizations <laughs> i mean scale needs money so any organization that's doing worthwhile work if they get the money they can scale it it's all about duplicating what you've already worked on and it's successful um but the scale uh, that we're talking about goes back to that idea that you know you can make a ton of money here and then once you make a ton of money here you use that money to multiply what you you you've created which is very unrealistic uh, especially if you're not in this for the money you know sure it's a tricky one isn't it it's a challenging <laughs> Is it, it is a very challenging and I understand where the individuals minds are coming from and I don't want to come off as like this pissed off dude. Uh, it's just that uh, not everything is made to make money. That's what I want to put across. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people I've interviewed, somebody talks about no margin, no mission. Some organizations try and provide some services to maybe a different segment of the market or a different niche or something like that and try and use some funds from that to fund some of the you know, more needing areas where people have, you know, no money at all. But I think it becomes quite complex doing that in terms of trying to run different kinds of organizations. You're running, essentially you're running two organizations, not one. <laughs> so it's like this whole like sexy one-for-one model that's been going around and people creating millions of dollars for themselves at some point for from this idea that you know it's it, it's wonderful they are making money here and they're donating it over here it it, it it's not it, it it's sexy from the uh books and papers i suppose if you can actually do that i mean uh, i spoke to somebody called jane chan and she has a low-cost baby incubator and they have a for-profit and a not-for-profit arm and you know they are you know having great results also they needed that structure for funding because you know they couldn't fund with a non-profit structure so they needed you know to have that as well but it undoubtedly adds to the complexity of the organization and in an already challenging environment yeah and and i and i mean if you have a product that can make a, a, a that can make money you incorporate it as a full profit and you get an investor to come on board and give you money as an investment and expect it returns on the investment Trust me, they actually want you to focus, you know, 112% of your time on building the the money-making side of things because they want their returns back as opposed to <clears throat> focusing energy on, on trying to, to, to help people on the nonprofit side. So it becomes a really Im- imbalanced uh uh, there are some people who have been very successful, um, don't get me wrong, but it's a very challenging environment. What's your vision, Chris, for you know the next few years for Rides for Lives? For me, I'm, um, I, I, you know, the products we've created and, uh, can be um, adopted and conserve populations anywhere in the world, even here in America. If you come to think about it, there are millions of people who cannot... Um, go to the hospital to the doctor for one reason or another and they could use a mobile health unit or anywhere in the, in Europe but um, I'm more uh, on the uh, one person uh, can make a difference just one person at a time um, I my vision is to look at rise for lives and um, see in about 20 30 years from now we've reached most uh, developing countries from Asia to South America to, um, you know, most of the African continent. Um, uh, and it's just, it's going to grow organically and, and, and slow. So um, just keep the, 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 the fire burning, as I like to say. Great ambition, Chris. And I wish you the very best of success and the very best of good fortune with this great project of yours. Thank you. And thank you very much for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.